It's so good to be worshiping together, and, and quite honestly, it, it is different. It feels different. It's not exactly what we're used to. It's not the same. The volume was amazing, and the reason why I know why the volume was amazing is because I did a quick walkthrough in the building, and for those of you who are watching downstairs, I apologize that we were so loud that we interrupted the flow of what you were singing, and I really do apologize for that. I don't, though. It was great to hear our voices. I'm so thankful to be gathered together for worship. I want to let you know that I don't want there to be any surprises. I don't like surprises. Um, I, I really, I like to know what's going on right off the bat. So um, I want to, to begin my message with how I'm going to close my message. That way, nobody sits back and says, I didn't see that coming. But typically, at the end of a message, I say, if the Lord has spoken to you or worked on your heart, would you come down forward and talk to me so we can spend some time praying? I'll put my arms around you. We'll pray together. And, and in this current climate, that's probably not the most prudent way to do things. But I know, I'm confident that God is going to move in the lives of somebody. And so I want to follow up with you this morning. So I want you to, to not be shocked and surprised that if at the end of the service, instead of you coming forward to me, if I ask you to just, just make eye contact and slip up your hand with me so that I can catch you after the service. And, and know that in doing so, I will ignore everyone else and come and talk to you about how God's working in your life. So I don't want there to be surprises when you say, I don't know how to respond or what to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to, to feel in this moment. I want you to know that that I want to talk to you about this morning's message as God works in your heart. As we worship together, and it is a little bit different, I want you to turn with me to Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. I want to do not an exhaustive, but a, a small study on worship this morning. I'm entitling this message, Worshipology. And really, I want to look at a tale of two types of worshipers. Two people who are worshiping, or two groups of people who are worshiping, but very differently. So in Ezra chapter 3, I, I have to give you the backstory. The reason why I like preaching out of the Old Testament, by the way, uh, besides the fact that the Old Testament is amazing. Do you know the Old Testament is amazing? The Old Testament is amazing. And the reason why I like preaching out of it, though, is it gives me a chance to share with you a glimpse of the story of the Old Testament. So let me give you a very, very brief backstory of how we get to the book of Ezra. This is going to go so fast, but it's going to give you an understanding. God called a specific man, Abraham, to be the father of many nations, and in particular, the father of the nation of Israel. And so God took, in the book of Genesis, one man, Abraham. He had one son who had two sons, one of which had 12 sons, and eventually, over several hundred years, became millions of people, one nation, the nation of Israel. And the Old Testament pretty well deals with the nation of Israel as a people. There are times that the nation of Israel is faithful to God, serving Him, doing what He asks them to do. The Lord is blessing them constantly. And there are other times that the nation of Israel is stubborn and rebellious. By the way, the reason why the Old Testament is awesome is because while it's a story of the nation of Israel, I see an allegory of the church in there as well. Sometimes First Baptist Church is faithful and God-honoring and doing what we're supposed to do. And sometimes I'm a knucklehead, right? Sometimes I just get it wrong. And I think you can relate to that and feel the same way. This is the nation of Israel, ups and downs. 
But we get to a point in the Old Testament where there are, there are more downs and ups, but more importantly, the nation of Israel has, has pretty well turned away from God. There are, there are very few good kings left. There are mostly wicked kings in Israel, and God punishes them by raising up first the empire of Babylon, then the Assyrians, and ultimately the Persians to have control over them. And they not only have control over the nation, but they destroy their sacred city of Jerusalem, destroy their temple, their place of worship, which was beautifully built, rip them out of their country, and take them northward to a land that is not their land. And for 70 years, the people of Israel are separated from their homeland. Many of their children grow up never knowing what Jerusalem is or the nation of Israel is. But because God is always faithful, even when his people are not, there comes a point in time where he starts allowing the Israelites to return home. And this is one of the waves of people coming home in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. As they're coming home, they have three priorities. Their priorities are to rebuild the walls around the city, to rebuild the temple for worship, and to start practicing genuine worship of God again. They've messed it up before, it's time to get it right. And so we see different phases. First, the the gathering for worship, then the construction of the temple, and ultimately the, the walls to fortify the city taking place in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And in Ezra chapter 3, we find that the foundation of the temple has been laid And much like you and I have been away from a sanctuary, a place to worship for for a long period of time, for 70 years, the people of Israel have a place again to worship. Now, it's not a whole building yet. It's the foundation. But it's time to start putting into practice the corporate worship that they experienced long ago. It's an exciting time for the nation of Israel just as it's an exciting time for you and for me. And so I'm going to read a few verses in Ezra chapter 3, just verses 10 through 13, and look at the ways two different groups of people worshipped together. Read along with me in Ezra chapter 3, starting in verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, And the Levites, the son of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, the king of Israel. That is, the former king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to God. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. Does this sound familiar? I feel like we've we've talked about this already in our corporate worship this morning. God, you are so amazing. We're back worshiping together. Continuing reading. All the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. They're gathered together again. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, that is the first temple, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy. So the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. We see distinctly in Ezra chapter 3 two groups of worshipers. There are those who are so excited 
that the foundation for the temple is being laid, that they cannot keep quiet. They shout loudly in praise. There's a group of people, and I want you to know here, when it says older men, this does not mean, oh, it's always the old people. Let's keep this clear. These are the men who are old enough to see the old temple 70 years ago. Right? These are the men who, who would have understood the glory of that first temple. There may not have ever been a more glorious place of worship built than that first temple that King David started on and King Solomon completed. It was ornate. I mean, gold and jewels and wealth. It was the place where the very presence of God in the Old Testament literally dwelled. Not spiritually or figuratively. It says that God's Spirit literally sat in the center of that temple. It was an amazing, immaculate, fabulous place of worship. And when these men who had seen the first temple now see the new temple, they look and see the lack of gold. They see the lack of jewels. But really, they see the lack of of reverence to God that the old temple had. It's just not the same. And instead of shouts of joy, these men weep. Now, I want you to think of, of, of the verse that says they wept so loudly that it was hard to distinguish who was weeping for joy and weeping out of sorrow. Think about this for just a moment. These men had to have seen the old temple 70 years ago, which means even if they were around 8 or 10, these are men at the very least 78, maybe 80, maybe 90 or close to 100 years old. Not the strong men who are ready for battle, but, but those who are, are weeping are weeping so loud that they're overpowering that younger group who is worshiping joyfully. They are in deep sorrow. This morning, I want to go ahead and let you know that there is some sin in the hearts of those older men who are weeping. But there is more that we can legitimately and biblically relate to them than we care to admit. I've got two two different ways I want to look at worship this morning. If you have your bulletin uh, digitally, you can pull that up on our website, fbcrobinson.com slash resources. You can pull up actually a detailed sermon outline in all of our scripture passages, and you'll see there's, there's two angles that we need to look at with worship this morning. The first is the setting for worship. The setting for worship. This is what so many of them were focused on the foundation that was laid, the circumstances around them. And I want you, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The setting for worship often leads to increased attention to God's glory. I don't know if you thought I was going to go there or not. The setting for worship often leads to an increased attention to God's glory. In other words, it's not unimportant. The setting matters. It is important to understand that these men were weeping, maybe out of a a hardened heart or, or vanity, but I think part of them were weeping because this temple did not bring the same physical appearance of glory to God that the previous temple had brought. Here's what I mean by that. Look with me in in Ezra 3.12. 
But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the house being laid, though many shouted out loud for joy. It wasn't just that they they didn't want to praise. It wasn't that they, they didn't hear the people worshiping around them. It's that they saw the setting and something was off. It wasn't what they remembered. It's not that it was bad. It's not that it was inappropriate. But there was a mourning and a sadness that something was not quite right. The atmosphere of the service is not insignificant. They were remembering the old temple. They remembered how God had instructed it to be built. By the way, I think it's important, and we can do a whole sermon sometime, a whole lesson on the, the setting of worship. I think sometimes we as Christians downplay the setting of worship more than we should. But I think it's important to realize that it was not the people in David and Solomon's time who decided to decorate it with gold and jewels, but it was instructed by God to do so. It was God's will that the temple be built the way it was built. We see that even in, in, he, in these verses. Look at verse 10. And the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. This is the new one, right? And then here comes the, the kind of the content of their worship. The priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord. And now this last phrase applies both to the setting and to the substance, the content, right? It is according to the direction of David, king of Israel. David was a king who God spoke to as a prophet, and he had instructed exactly how God desired the temple to be built. So it wasn't meaningless that the temple foundation was laid in a specific way. And when some of these men saw that it wasn't quite up to par of the first, of course, they wept. We we can't accept, we can't accept any setting as a setting to worship. Now, I want to be careful. That doesn't mean you can't worship anywhere. You can. But it's way too easy for us to downplay the corporate gathering together. Even the building, I think, has some importance. Our building is, is certainly wrought with history, the stained glass windows, the, the balcony that wraps around. It really is a beautiful place to worship. If it looked completely different, we still would worship, wouldn't we? But the setting's not unimportant. It's not the stained glass, it's not the light, and it's not the balcony. You know what is important? These banners that point us to worship the Lord. That's important to remind us as we walk in the building what we're here to do. What's important is is a visible cross behind us to remind us who is ultimately in charge of our church. These are symbols we have in our church that are not unimportant. The setting matters because all of these things point us to the glory of God. By the way, the screens that we put Scripture on are not unimportant. They're ways and a medium for people to read the Word of God visually together. All of these things are important, and the setting does matter. And I say that because I want us to understand that it'd be really easy after a pandemic to step back and say, why can't we worship at home? The Spirit is the same everywhere. And the answer is you can worship at home, but it's not the same. The setting does matter. Now, there will be some time, and and I want to make this very clear, especially to those watching at home. There will be some time that for your health and for your safety, 
you need to spend some time worshiping at home. I think that's God-honoring. It's what we as a church have done for several months. And I think that that is, there's no guilt, should be no guilt in staying at home in the midst of a pandemic or not. If there is a health safety issue, you need to make sure you take that into account. But when the pandemic is lifted, the health restrictions are no longer there, it's not okay just to worship anywhere. The setting, the setting of worship leads us to an increased attention to God's glory. There's something about hearing the person next to you sing. I know, they don't sing well, right? There's something about about the, the Spirit moving in the midst of a group of people instead of just an individual. Both are vitally important. There's something to be said for a fellowship and encouragement. I've heard several people say, I can't tell if people are smiling behind masks. I can watch their eyes close. <laughs> My family especially. There, there's something to be said about an interaction with other believers. God gave us the setting of the church and it's not unimportant. So before we throw these men of old who were weeping out, let us remember they understood what it was like to gather for corporate worship before the first temple was destroyed. And maybe they were wailing for the wrong reasons, but maybe perhaps they said, we can worship, but, but I have to admit, there was a time when God's glory just shone through this foundation. And it hurts that it's no, no longer there. I've got to be honest, I, I empathize with these men because I weeped some over the last few months. Maybe not physically, I don't know that I sat in my living room and cried, but my heart was broken, not being able to gather for, for worship. And so I, I can empathize with them and say, I love worshiping with my family in my living room. It was amazing, by the way. It was wonderful. But there was something missing about gathering together. So I, I want us to understand that the setting for worship can lead us to an attention, to increased attention to God's glory. But it's not just the setting. There's the substance of the worship. And, and this is vital for us to understand as well. The content for worship is vastly superior to the surrounding setting. In other words, the setting is important. But if the setting gets ripped away because of pandemic, or because Babylon comes, or Assyria comes, or Persia keeps us captive and keeps us away. If the setting changes because we decide to worship out on our lawn or at the park, if the setting is different because banners change or words don't work, if the setting is different because there's fewer people or more people, if the setting changes, what does not change is the content of our worship. And that is vastly superior to the surrounding setting. What was it that distinguished the faithful worshipers in Ezra from the complainers in Ezra? We don't know if the old men were, were worshiping alongside and weeping or whether they were completely separate, but I know how to tell who was genuinely worshiping. You could tell by the content of what was being sung. Look with me in verse 11 of Ezra chapter 3. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good and His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. This was worship. And they could have done that standing on a foundation. They could have done that in the courts of the first temple, but they could do that in Babylon, Assyria, and Persia. 
The setting matters some, but the content matters more. There's a story in the New Testament of a a Samaritan woman who Jesus confronts at a well. And and it'll immediately pop into your mind for a lot of different reasons if you've grown up in church. But, But let me tell you the setting. There's a woman who's an outcast in Samaria going to draw water in the middle of the day because she's too ashamed to be around people. And Jesus goes up to her, even though no other person would talk to her. She's confused by this interaction, and Jesus starts calling her out on some sin in order to bring her to a a place of repentance. And at first, she doesn't want to have anything to do with it, so she turns the conversation theological, and she starts asking about worship. And so in Matthew, or I'm sorry, John chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, we read, The woman said to him, Sir, I, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. She, she brings it back to the setting. Jesus, where do we worship? By the way, in a sermon I'll eventually do on the setting, we're going to look at this as well and realize that Jesus tells her the people worshipping in Jerusalem were right. That's where God said to worship. The setting mattered. Now, things change when Christ comes and, and, and God's Spirit leaves the specific place of the temple and dwells in the hearts of believers, but, but Jesus has an answer for the setting, but that's not His primary concern. His primary concern is not where they worship. Look with me in verses 21 through 24. Jesus says, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. And is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman wanted to know the setting. And Jesus said, it's not unimportant. Salvation comes out of the Jews. Jerusalem is the right temple. But a place is coming. A time is coming when the setting no longer has the same significance. The truth is, the setting of worship placed anywhere is genuine worship when the content is genuine content. You worship in a building here, a building there, a house here, a house there, a lawn here, a lawn there, but the content of worship needs to remain the same, and that is you worship with your whole heart. You worship Him in spirit, that is, with all that you have, having a connection that is more than the physical surrounding around you, and you worship Him in truth, that is, according to to God's instruction and His Word. Jesus says the, the substance, the content of worship is so vastly superior to the surrounding settings. In the months ahead, our setting for worship may look a little bit different. Know that everything we're doing is is because we want the setting to give glory to God. The setting may look different, but the content will not change. Becky shared with the praise team a couple weeks ago. She said again on the live stream last week, and she put a sign for us out front while we were worshiping outside. Where we worship may change, but who we worship never does. The setting's important, but the content is what really matters. So how will you worship this morning? Will you worship with gladness, even though there's tape on the pews? Will you worship joyfully and 
and ecstatically because you are able to gather again, whether with your family at home or or whether in a building, will you worship genuinely and say, God, you are good in all circumstances, regardless of if I have a mask on my face or not? Will you worship genuinely because the, the subject and the content of our worship hasn't changed and never will? As we wrap up, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask you to pray right where you're at, and then I'm going to do that weird thing where I ask you to make eye contact if you have a question. Will you close your eyes and pray with me this morning? Father, you are good. Father, your steadfast love endures forever. Father, we worship you this morning. Some of us gathered physically here. Others gathered safely in their homes, Lord, the content is the same here and there. Lord, we thank You that You never change. We worship You this morning because You're a God who loves us and calls us to know You. So Father, this morning, work on our hearts. Let us appreciate the setting around us, but more importantly, let us close our eyes and let us worship You for who You are. As you continue praying where you're at, I'm going to ask you, if you have a question about this morning's message, if you have a question about maybe our church family or or how to know the Lord in Christ, would would you just do me a favor and just make a brief eye contact with me and, and put your hand up where I can see it? I would love to follow up with you as soon as this service is over. I will come to you. Thank you. I want to worship together this morning. Father, let us worship you for who you are. Right where we're at, let us worship you boldly. It's in your name we pray. Amen.